Kohlrabi is brought to you by Grown By. Have you ever wondered what the farmer's market will have this weekend or when a farm will have new products available? Like, when is Northland Farm going to have fresh chickens again? That's what Grown By is for. Grown By is the first cooperatively owned app for selling local food. We're here to help farmers succeed, and for consumers, we make it really easy to connect with your local farmer. You can invite any farmer to join. Check it out at grownby.app or find us on the Google Play or Apple App Store. Welcome to Kohlrabi, the podcast for people who love to cook and get into the nitty gritty stories behind their food. I'm Lindsay Lusher Shoot, and I'm a farmer at Hardy Roots Community Farm, and I'm also heading up a new cooperative, the Farm Generations Cooperative, and through our app Grown By, we help farmers sell their food to communities all across the country. I'm joined by my longtime friend, Michelle. Michelle Lynn Hughes works in Glenwood's Regional Food Program and is also farmer and owner of Reclamation Herb Farm, which is just down the road from Hardy Roots. Hey, Michelle. Hi, Lindsay. In each episode, we're going to talk to a chef and a farmer about a single ingredient. So we're going to talk to farmers about the art and science of growing everything from vegetables to herbs and animals. And then chefs will share how they use those same ingredients at home and like those stories behind their cooking. Michelle, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast with you, you're a great cook, and I love how you use ingredients so creatively. And you have worked with farmers all over the world. So have this incredible perspective on growing food and how it can be used in our own kitchens at home. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, I learned uh, I learned to cook from my mom, who you know is from St. Thomas, and she learned from her mother, and who was also an amazing cook. And you, I think there's this thing where you never f- feel like you're as good of a cook as your mother. So she's like my gold standard, and <laughs> maybe by the time I'm her age, I'll I'll get to be <laughs> as good as she is. Oh. I love that. Yeah, I was really excited when you came to me with this idea. I really am interested in talking with chefs and farmers about the cultural context of the foods that they're working with. Yeah, I mean, that's right. That's what that's what kohlrabi is all about. The concept is that we're like going deep. On this week's episode, we're talking about spring onions. So Michelle, you picked this week's topic. Why did you want to talk about spring onions? Well, the idea actually came from our first guest, chef, uh, Sonia Joy Key. They're an underappreciated vegetable that we often take for granted. And there's so much nutrition and vibrancy. And they bring a lot to our, our food all the time. And in the spring, we can get these beautiful onions with green tops that you can do so much with. Cool. Yeah, I love it. I think it's the perfect way to start this podcast is talking about what is oftentimes like the first thing that is available fresh to many of us on the farm is either spring onions that we're growing or spring onions that like pop up in the lawn that I guess you can eat too. So yeah, I'm I'm so excited to share what we learn from Chef Key, and also from my husband, Ben, who 
volunteered to talk about growing onions at Hardy Roots Farm, our farm. I actually learned a lot from this episode. So Michelle, thank you for asking such good questions. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to talk to him about that. I learned a lot too. We're talking about onions today and they, they're so simple and they're so ubiquitous. They're, you know, used in basically every cuisine around the world. And, you know, we take them for granted, but they're actually sort of, I feel like there's kind of a tricky thing to grow. And I know that a lot of farmers buy in starts. So maybe could you just talk about how, when you started, how you were growing onions in general and how, and how how you're growing them now. So um, onions are actually a pretty memorable crop for us because they're usually they're the very first seeds that we plant in the greenhouse every year. Mm -hmm. And we tend to plant them at around March 1st in the greenhouse, seed lots of transplants and let them grow for a couple months before seeding them out in April or May. And that's how we get them started in general. We we start the seeds um, real early. And because onion plants, in some ways, they're really resilient and really tough. And in other ways, they're kind of sensitive. They're also one of the first things we plant out in the field because they can tolerate the cold nights and can make it through the, the spring. And actually, they can even um, tolerate being shipped across the country. We A couple times in our farm's history, uh, maybe we had a problem with some of our seedlings or didn't have enough. And there are a few times where we actually ordered transplants in from Texas, which is they do right. a huge business down there um, yeah. because it's warm weather. They can um, get a super jump start on a crop and they seed seeds directly into the field and let them grow up to be seedling size. And then they just pull them out of the ground, tie rubber bands around bunches of 100 put them in a box and send them in the mail to you. And those little onion seedlings can totally take it. They can just hang out in a box for a few days and be ready to get into the ground when they reach the Northeast. When we can, we, we do our own seedlings though, just cause that way we have complete control over them and can grow the exact varieties that we want. We like to grow a, a variety um, of different types and uh, kind of time the planting of them right so that they're ready at the right time for us to um, harvest for for our customers, our CSA members. Yeah, so on the topic of varieties, how does the variety of onions that you grow for those like nice spring onions with the green tops, is it is it a di- do you use different varieties for those versus the your storage onions, the dry onions that folks would see like later in the season? Yeah, there's um, a couple of varieties that are definitely um, bred to be fresh onions that are um, picked with yeah with the green tops that we we bunch them. Usually they're a little sweeter in flavor, um, a little more kind of succulent and juicy, and the greens are nice and fresh and can be used like scallions. And there's a variety called Sierra Blanca that we grow that's a very white colored bulb and is super sweet. Like we get reports of. CSA members, kids eating them like apples and things like that. Um, <laughs> there's some red ones that are um, bred to be fresh and um, a few like heirloom ones. These uh, uh, Italian ones, long of tropia that are these elongated red purplish um, pretty mm-hmm. onions. 
Those must be nice for slicing. You know, you can easily put it on a cutting board, <laughs> cut mm -hmm. it into nice, nice rounds and you get like a long, you know, a lot of like white slices versus. Yeah. yeah. Really and they're just unique, too. I mean, I feel like you never see that's some, one of those things that you just hardly ever see in the grocery store and really sets sets things apart and has a little story behind the mm -hmm. breeding and the variety of it. So that's that's definitely been cool to grow. And the storage ones, you know, they're, they're often bred um, to be a little drier in their kind of um, in the bulb. Um, and that's, you know, mainly because that's how you have a onion store well is, is that it dries down. But we do, uh, sometimes we, we run through all of the fresh ones in our harvest and people still want bunched fresh onions. And we, so we do pick the, the storage ones with the green tops sometimes. And they're, they're still quite good, you know, and nice to eat fresh. But after a few weeks of that, um, pretty soon the onions do go into, you know, storage mode. Uh, and at that point, it's time to switch over to storage time. So how many CSA members do you have right now? And how many onions do you need to grow for that many people? <laughs> um, so we deliver to about 700 families a week. Um, yeah. Plus, we have our farm store. He's getting on his calculator. So now I'm going to tell you how many onions we planted this year times 12 beds. So I guess we grew a little over 100,000 onions. Um, 100,000 onions in yeah. a year. Mm -hmm. Onions are hard to grow. Yeah, they're, uh, you know, I described that they were kind of resilient and tough in some ways as seedlings, but they can also be pretty sensitive to a few things. One is b big uh, swings in temperature. Sometimes mm -hmm. if there's a real hot weather period during their growing before, while they're still like in the process of adding layers and bulbing out, um, sometimes the a lot of heat can actually damage them a little bit and it'll kind of just damage that one layer that's growing at that time. And then onion just keeps growing more layers. And then when you go to store the onions, it's possible that that layer that's buried down in there a few layers in actually got like a little damaged by the heat and actually can rot in there. And then you have that very unpleasant experience of you cut open your storage onion and you find that one layer down in the middle is slimy. Yes. The rest of it's okay. Ah, that's and, mystery solved. <laughs> yeah. And rotten onions are like second worst thing to rotten potatoes. Yes. In the agree. farm, I think. <laughs> so <laughs> Totally agree. I had to throw away a rotten onion the other day. Yeah. And it was, I actually had to throw away the container because <laughs> it was, it was a disaster. Yeah. Um, so BR, um, recently I've seen some farmers growing onions on this like super reflective material. So a lot of farms use photodegradable or biodegradable mulch that organic farmers use as a way of controlling weeds and also, you know, it has other benefits. But this super reflective material was kind of new to me. So yeah, that's that's a thing. The reason for that is that onions are also kind of sensitive to this in particular, this one little um, pest called an onion thrip. And these thrips are these super teeny tiny kind of orangish colored bugs. You have to get way down next to the onion plant to see them. And even then it kind of looks like specks of dust, but they hang out right in the very center of where the onion plant is growing new shoots. Um, onion plants, they kind of like, they almost look like, like kind of a, like a thick 
like succulent grass the way they grow. It's like a shoot comes up and then another one next to it, another one from inside of it. And and right down in the middle where the new shoots are popping up is where those thrips hide. They hide and you have to like mm-hmm. pull apart the leaves to find them. And because they're right down there where the really like most tender, youngest, most vulnerable shoot of the onion is, even though they're so tiny and they're only like um, biting a little bit of the onion, um, it's that most vulnerable part of the onion that they're mm-hmm. they're on. So that can actually really stunt the onions. And um, and on the greens, you end up seeing these uh, kind of white streaks after they grow up. The leaf grows big, but the scars are still visible. You know, conventional onion growers can spray um, pesticides for those thrips. Um, there are some organic sprays you can use, but uh, another method is to try and just discourage the thrips to make them not want to be there. And this super shiny, reflective plastic mulch that you can use um, is something that has shown in some trials to discourage those thrips from showing up. And we tried it one year, and it was like new to us, and we uh, didn't really think it through. The reflective mulch. The reflective mulch. And, um, Which is like a mirror. Yeah, it's shiny. <laughs> it's like, like tinfoil yeah. on, on the ground. Once you see it, you realize why the thrips don't like it because yeah. no one likes it. Yes, like, no one likes it. <laughs> it's terrible. And that's like, what happened with us. We went out to plant the onions on the, on a sunny day on the super shiny plastic and everyone got a headache. People were getting sunburned. It was like totally brutal. It was not a, not a nice experience. So we just tried that once and then we stopped. <laughs> we didn't do yeah. that again. So what do you what do you do now to control thrips? We hope that they don't get too bad. We try and rotate the onions into different fields every year so that they can't hang out too much. But um, and the onions can tolerate some thrips. It's like over a certain number per plant, and you have to kind of intervene. But um, like another thing about gr- liking to grow different varieties is that there may be some varieties that can tolerate them a little bit better. Um, and if some aren't doing as well, sometimes we'll notice like, you know, these onions are maybe not growing as quickly. Maybe we'll just pull those as fresh onions now um, and leave the other ones to grow bigger. So there's, you know, different options, we different decisions we can make during the season to try and handle any kind of pest pressure and things like that. Yeah, I guess that's a good thing too about having a CSA where, you know, your customers are willing to take a variety of different kinds of onions. Um, I think last question, well, how do you how do you like to eat spring onions? Um, I mean, I think they're just it really is true that they're so they're really tasty, even raw, like they don't have any of that, um, you know, harsh, harsh, raw flavor. They're really they're actually sweet, like they mm-hmm. um, are the kind of thing that you would want to just munch on, not not just uh, kind of cook with or season with. Um, so, you know, I mean, Cooking with them, they're kind of extra crunchy and like succulent and and sweet. Eating them on salad, they're you know they're just like really pleasant to eat. And um, putting them on the grill is super delicious. Or roasted. The other thing that um, is actually pretty new for us this year is like super earlier spring onions, like winter onions. <laughs> so um, mm. uh, our our you know what you're calling spring onions. Um, we usually don't have ready until June, which is maybe spring, maybe summer, but we are harvesting onions right now. Um, but those are what I would call overwintered onions. Um, mm. And so those are onions that we plant in the fall in a protected system, either in a greenhouse, in our case, like an unheated greenhouse. 
um, also called a high tunnel, um, or some people just do it in the field and then cover it with like a little caterpillar hoop tunnel of um, plastic or and like I said, onions are pretty tough. They can actually survive winter temperatures pretty well, the, the seedlings, as long as they have some protection from the wind and the snow and stuff. Um, so if you give them some minimal protection, even without any supplemental heat, um, they will kind of get their roots established in this in the wintertime, even in the like dead of winter. And then as soon as the daylight starts to increase in the early spring, like late winter even, they'll all of a sudden be like ready to shoot up and start to grow big. And so we've been harvesting a lot of um, super early spring onions right now that we planted back in the fall that have been hanging on over the winter in our unheated greenhouse. I, I um, was cooking some of the last of the fall carrots, like roasting them in the oven the other night and had a few of these spring onions that I just cut in half and threw it threw on the tray with them in the oven. And um, they were even sweeter than the carrots. They were like the best part of the dish. So it's just kind of a cool other other winter crop that we can now um grow um that this is the first year we've done that and, and it uh turned out turned out pretty successful so i think we're team sarah we that was awesome that's a lot about onions. i learned are. a lot about our onion production when did we switch to this new system know, it's been years <laughs> I built Grown By because I was tired of farmers like me barely getting by. If we want farmers in our future, then we need to support them in any way that we can. Grown By is the only app that guarantees fairness for our farmers. For each dollar you spend on Grown By, at least 95 cents is going back to the farmer who grew your food. Farmers set their own prices. So if you're looking for truly unique, fresh ingredients, and a way to support the future of agriculture, check us out at grownby.app or find us on the Google Play or Apple App Stores. And now, let's hear more about eating spring onions with Chef Sonia Joy Key of Poughkeepsie Farm Project. These days, most of Sonia Joy's cooking happens from their kitchen right at the farm. I knew Sonia Joy would be the perfect guest for the show because I've eaten their food a number of times and it's always somehow delicious and healthy and manages to blend together so many culinary traditions. How do you use spring, like spring onions or green onions differently than storage onions? Like so personally in your cooking? The main difference to me about you know, spring onions along with a lot of fresh herbs is that there's a lot of preparations you can do with them that don't involve heat and that preserve the flavor um, using maybe some kinds of fats or um, vinegars and things mm -hmm. that help create longevity for the herbs, even if you aren't going to use them that day. So mm -hmm. that's what's exciting to me about, about spring onions is that they you know, they don't require a lot of work. They're really easy to work with. You don't have to peel them. Um, and their flavor is like bursting out. It's so available and easy to use in a lot of different um, kinds of, of condiments that, that help increase the flavor of any dish. Yeah, I tend to use them as a garnish or finishing something or just to add that little like bright green pop on top of 
something that otherwise might be a little bit brown and mushy looking. Yeah. <laughs> but delicious. <laughs> yeah. And I have folks in my family who can't really eat salt anymore mm-hmm. um, because of high blood pressure. And so I feel like the Allium family is always something that I reach for when I want to add flavor. Yeah. Oh, I just, I want to go right to the, like <laughs> the cooking questions. How do you use spring onions in recipes that are sort of like culturally important to you or that, um, yeah, that are culturally relevant to you personally? Mm, Yeah, that's a great question. I, I love, um, they're not super available in the springtime, but collard greens are a staple in my diet. I've been eating collard greens since I was a little babe. Um, and I was taught to make them with a pot liquor. So you make, uh, you smoked meat, you know, sometimes onions and garlic, and you just cook that down sometimes half a day into like this delicious stewy collard stew. Not, it's not a stew, but it's just a, yeah, pot of greens. Most important question. Do you use smoked turkey or ham hocks? I have developed this vegan style of cooking, of making a pot liquor that I really love with, um, I use an orange, I use cinnamon, I used a smoked chili flake, which mm. is something that if you can find some kind of smoked uh, flavor through it, like a smoked sea salt or a smoked chili flake, that's delicious. Um, and there's also making, if you're going to have cornbread on the side of your greens, which I would definitely recommend to do, I sometimes cook spring onions down and, and mix them with some kind of fat and make like an oniony butter. And that's really oh, wow. a nice spread for cornbread or some kind of crackers or something that you're having on the side of your dish. So is there a difference with how you would caramelize spring onions versus like a more mature storage onion? Yeah, I probably wouldn't go as long or mm-hmm. as hot that because they're genuine, generally a lot softer and a lot more I think n- not as pungent in their right. flavor. A little sweeter. I want this mm-hmm. recipe. <laughs> I, I want to eat as soon as I start talking about food. I'm like, let's eat that. Yeah, it's, I don't know that we should record this at lunchtime because it's <laughs> just like making me very hungry. I just got excited when we were talking about this and was thinking about not just foods that I grew up eating, but also all of the different kinds of herbal sauces and sides to me those are the like you can just cook scrambled eggs over and over again but if you have a different sauce to put on top of them then you have a completely different dish yes and um so i i was thinking about all these basic foods that is like oh you have some leftover rice in the fridge or you have um braised meat or you have braised vegetables like how can you make this a different dish every day and if you you know have some kind of chutney or chimichurri or garlic oil, uh, or I'm sorry, like an onion oil, then you can just mm-hmm. make this a different, a different flavor experience, which is a fun way to try to maintain locavore status. Cause it's hard. It is like, honestly, it can get tedious to eat the same foods, um, throughout the season for me anyway. Um, right. and that, that is a way that I'm like, Oh, I have the spice of life because I have all of these different toppings and sides and condiments that make it a lot more enjoyable to eat kohlrabi for three weeks. Um, Inspiration of this podcast. Love me some kohlrabi. Just, just. Yeah. We should also have you on to tell us how to cook. Yeah. I know. Side note, 
uh, I was working with this um, with this guy whose family is from Taiwan, and he was telling me that his dad cooked a lot of kohlrabi. Because so I was like, "What the heck do you even do with it?" And he was like, "Well, yeah, in traditional Chinese cooking, we use a lot of kohlrabi." So I haven't haven't found any recipes yet, but oh, I, I am a, a kung fu student, and um, oh, have, I do. Oh, I'm in the in the mix with a lot of uh, traditional Chinese medical practitioners as a, as a student of Kung Fu. And um, I really appreciate the connection and the, the wisdom from that tradition around the relationship of onions to the season of spring, because mm. in, that, in that system, um, spring is the energy of wood. Wood is like, you're going in this one direction. You, you're, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a real like energy of, of like benevolent expansion. And the energy of metal is the energy that controls wood. It's the control cycle of the five element cycle. So metal is expressed in onions, um, especially in like the white part of the onions. But so in the springtime, it's kind of like that, that philosophy in nature where things that grow together are actually part of, you know, healing. So if you get poison ivy, jewelweed is right there next to it. Mm -hmm. um, and in the springtime, you'll see these metal element um, ingredients or plants become available because that is the natural balance to the energy of the season. So having mm -hmm. some of that metal element food can really balance somebody who has a lot of wood energy, you know, like myself, I'm an Aries, I'm a spring baby, I've already got a lot. So in the springtime, it's like extra, extra. Um, and that can lead to an expression of excess, which would be more like I'm angry and irritated rather than being like benevolent and like planning and having this, this, uh, positive expression of, of wood energy. So that's just, I, I love thinking about. So you're saying I need more onions in my life. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> when you use spring onions medicinally, what sorts of preparations do you make? And I feel like people think of medicinal as like, oh, you have to make a tincture, you have to, but I think like- Oh, I see. Using food as medicine. Okay, great. So, I mean, the things that I, that I thought of instantly were all of the, you know, first of like all of the saucy condiment herbal preparations that I, that I sort of mentioned, like um, making uh, an herbal oil, which would, that would be more for something where you're not using the white bulb of the onion, but say something like a, a scallion or a chive where mm -hmm. it's super simple. And I wish that everyone would do this. Like you get your blender and you use a good oil, you use like olive or avocado, or, mm -hmm. and you blend in a handful of herbs of the green part of the herb. So you could do a mixture of herbs. You could do just chive. You could do just the green scallion, whatever you have that of that green onion that's that workable and then you know blend that and keep that in like a squeeze bottle or just in a small mm. container you know like a ball jar in the fridge it works for everything like it's like a soup topper um, it's something you could dip crackers into at a party or bread mm. and it just it's something you can use in a lot of different different spaces and it's easier to make than something like an aioli I think herbs and salt and oil like that's something that everybody can, can do and use in some way. Right. And it's simpler and cheaper than making a pesto, which yeah, yeah has more ingredient, more expensive ingredients. Which and is also on my list. 
Yeah, I do love, I just made a rib pesto, but I always leave out the cheese just Mm -hmm. because I feel like it's nice to add that at the end. Yeah. And I love that option of giving people, that is how you feed a variety of people is you put cheese on the table and people can opt in or opt out as they want to. Exactly. So when when you're making the oil that you're talking about, you add salt. I definitely add salt. How much salt? Ooh, any chef will usually use what a lay person would think of as too much salt. So you eyeball it. You just everything. know, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you, and and you and you always start with less than you need because you can't take it out. So if you, you know, if you want to add more, that's always the rule to me. Just start with start with little and add more. Yeah, and, and I think some people <laughs> think they're not they don't add salt to food, but they don't account for salt that might be in prepared condiments that they're using. So when you make your own oil, you need to add salt because it's, <laughs> it's necessary. And how long does it last when you make an oil like that? Like a week? Um, if you're keeping it in the fridge, it would last two weeks. Mm-hmm. I think people also like freeze cubes. I, I don't personally oh. do that, but I know freezing cubes is something that folks have fun doing and you can pour the oil into cubes too. It's just going to solidify and I'm a cube freezer. I freeze like cubes of pesto, cubes of like- I do pesto, but I've never thought of oil. Because then you can use a cube instead of like, you know, chopping garlic every Mm -hmm. time. You just throw a frozen cube in there. So so will you just tell me more about this pesto? So you make, what what do you put in? You put spring onions in a pesto. I would mix all- Or just mix it up with like maybe basil or or ramps or- Yeah, Mm -hmm. even doing- uh, dark leafy greens, kale pestos or mm. pestos are great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I think of pesto or chimichurri or chutney, it's nice to stick with the base herb of it being the traditional herb. Like given a chimichurri, I'd want to use cilantro, but it's fine to use like the onion as well and use garlic or in the chutney, add ginger and add green chilies. And but you know, add add what you have. I feel like if you have it. And that's, it's, it's going to be delicious. It's going to taste great. It's going to alter the flavor slightly, but it's, I, hopefully there's no, I say to my students all the time that there's, there's no food police yet. I mean, there's traditions, but there's also innovation and enjoyment of what, what you have. And recipes are meant to be guidelines. They're not meant to be, at least in my book, in other people's books, that that is not true. But I think of recipes as guidelines, not as um, you know something that you have to adhere to strictly. Yeah. What do you consider? What are the essentials for pesto? What are the essentials for chimichurri? You know, what are like what do you have to have in your opinion to like make those sauces mm-hmm. work? I think for pesto, you have to have good oil. Um, a nut that's going to, or a nut or a seed that's going to provide that toasty flavor and the texture that's going to bind it all together, garlic and herbs and salt. Great. And what about chimichurri? Or something like chimichurri. To me, it's like the, you need like the cilantro, you need something spicy, like a jalapeno or even garlic would might be spicy enough for some people. Um, Something acidic, like a vinegar, um, you could even use lime juice mm-hmm. and then mix in whatever other herbs you have. And for a chutney, I think ginger and spice are are kind of a baseline for a chutney, um, like ginger, garlic, and 
and uh, a green chili or something, something adding that heat. Yeah, that's so great. I love that. So when you're selecting spring onions and then bringing them home and cutting them and storing them, what advice do you have for people? It's funny because I'm going to go in a different direction. I think one of the biggest things that I think about in terms of food storage is just buying what you need or what you're going to put up and Mm -hmm. not more. I think it's really common for a lot of us to think food waste is just like part of like, it's just part of our lives. Like it happens. We all get busy. We don't use everything. And I know from my grandparents' generation and before, like people survived by making do with what they had and using and wisely putting away and storing food um, for later times. But, you know, I don't know, they weren't greedy about it. That's one thing that I think is important and not to like lecture on it too long, but. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really great. Um, That's a really great way to think about food waste, sort of like. Like prevent it before. Prevent it it before it happens. Yeah. It took me many years to sort of figure out how much do you really need? What Mm -hmm. can you actually, what do you really have the time and capacity and interest to prepare and sort of prepare to store for that week? Well, yeah. And like, if you do happen to end up with too much, you can always make more and give it away to a neighbor or friend. But to answer very directly the part about storage, um, from, from my work in like restaurant and catering, we usually did a lot of dicing and slice, like store diced and sliced um, onions in the fridge for three days. So it wow. is something where I, I encourage people to like, when, when their CSA comes in or when they went to the market, you know, that same day or set aside, you know, one or two hours and do your food prep and, and get things cut so that when you're cooking later on in the week, you can just reach in your fridge mm-hmm. and pull out something that's prepared. So you don't have to, you know, it's, it's, it, you can keep your cooking to like a 20 minute window. And I think the greens I generally store in water. So if it's uh, something like a scallion, I'll just cut the root off just at the very base and store it in a little, a few inches of water in a ball jar and mm. maybe keep a plastic bag wrapped over the top. So those are the two, two suggestions I would have. I do the same thing with water. I love like the chive flowers. Like I'll just cut off a bunch of chives and then it's like an arrangement and yeah, something to cook with. Sonia Joy, thank you so much. This was wonderful. I have so much inspiration for cool. my meal tonight. This is, it was really fun. Well, that was fun. I learned so much. Michelle, did you cook any of the things that Sonia Joy suggested? I did. I actually made uh, the really a really simple onion oil nice. that was just spring onions with olive oil in a blender. And, you know, I've been, I have it in my refrigerator and I've been using it to saute various spring vegetables. And it's, um, it's really great. You just stick it in the pan with some broccoli rabe or... Yum. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Lindsay? Uh, no, but in honor of this episode, I did put some spring onions on my eggs this weekend and they were delicious. <laughs> But I am very, I particularly, yeah, the, all of the ways that she was talking about using it like in pesto and in oil, I am definitely going to try. I just, I need like time to do it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Just try the oil. It's just onions and oil in a blender. <laughs> and actually, this the spring onions I had like were actually from Poughkeepsie level. Farm Project. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was there visiting a couple of weeks ago. Awesome. And yeah. All right. Well, that's a wrap. This was our first kohlrabi. It was great having these conversations with you, Michelle. And yeah, you too, Lindsay. And the next episode, we're going to be talking about lamb. So stay tuned. Kohlrabi is brought to you by Grown By, the Farm Generations Cooperative and the Glenwood Center. It was edited by Hannah Beal. Thanks to Sonia Joy Key and Ben B.R. Shoot for being our first guests on the show. We would love to hear your feedback, so don't forget to leave us a review and suggest an ingredient for us to do a show on. If you have an idea for a chef or a farmer that should be on Kohlrabi, DM us at Grown by app on Instagram. We'll see you soon. And in the meantime, I will be making onion oil with salt. Mm-hmm.